Hello, my magical friends. My name is Ayumi. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And you're listening to Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Whether it's your first or 63rd time listening, we welcome you to our space to celebrate magical girls from every corner of the world. We have just a little bit of news and a little bit of what I've been watching, and then we'll get on to today's topic. For anyone who is a fan of Precure, the trademark bot on Twitter did reveal the title and logo of next season. But as always, I will not discuss news that has not been officially released on the podcast. Just keep this information in mind if you're online that the info is out there now. Last Wednesday, I watched the latest Precure movie, Tropical Rouge Precure, The Snow Princess, and The Miraculous Ring. It was very good. I would give it a 9 out of 10. They seamlessly introduced the hardcatch girls and had tons of incredible combo attacks as well as tons of little gags for hardcatch fans. My only concern was with some new animation choices. But yeah, otherwise it was just all around a great movie. It's also at the end of this film where they always show something regarding what's coming next that they announced with pink hearts and ribbons that the next Precure film will be released next autumn. This was a surprise to a lot of viewers here, but I think it goes without saying that the pandemic has seriously affected sales for this franchise, as well as pretty much everything else, and so it makes sense that they will no longer do two movies a year, at least for now. I do hope this means that they'll give this one movie a larger budget, and we'll see how that goes. (laughs) I haven't finished watching anything else, so in the meantime, I did want to point out two a Magical Girl adjacent series that I've been checking out. So one currently airing right now is called Tact Opus Destiny. And this started last month, much like most series did this season. And it's set in the future in the US. In this world, we have this mysterious kind of monster attacking people at large, and they're very dangerous. And the only people that can fight back are conductors and music arts. So music arts are very much magical girls as we've seen them so far. The main characters of Tact and Destiny are a very unusual pair of a conductor and music art. And so they are the main characters and they're going on an adventure across the US. And this is set slightly in the future. So it's very interesting for a number of reasons and the lore seems very fascinating so yeah i think if you like magical girls you will probably also enjoy the series another series that was actually recommended to me by my algorithm is release the spice so this is one where i wasn't able to tell at first if it was a magical girl series or not so i decided to start watching it and it is very cute but it is not really a magical girl series But basically, it's about a group of secret spies who use the power of spices to basically get a little bit of a boost in their abilities. So it's a very interesting premise. It seems to be based on a game that is now defunct. Uh, This is a series from a few years ago, but you can watch it, I believe, on High Dive. The style is very cute. I've watched three episodes so far and I really like it so far. The only concern I've had 
for the time being has been that the villains are not really depicted well. I think there's some problematic elements in those designs. But otherwise, um, yeah, it's a very intriguing series. So I do think that Magical Girl fans would also like that as well. Yeah, since that's all I finished up this week, let's move on to today's topic. So as I believe I mentioned either last week or the week before, I was delighted to be on the Sailor Moon Fan Club podcast, also known as Moonies Club on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, in doing so, I was able to also have the host of that podcast, Victoria L. Johnson, on my own podcast. So I was very delighted to talk to her about this series. It would be easy to have someone hosting a Sailor Moon podcast to come on to my podcast to also talk about Sailor Moon, but we wanted to use this opportunity to check out something different. So Victoria is very interested in a lot of the more modern magical girl series that are on the darker side. And so we decided to talk about Magical Girl Spec Ops Asuka. You know, when we were first starting, she had seen a little bit of it, but had not finished. I think that that was very interesting going into it as well. <laughs> but yeah, I was really delighted to finally check out this series to talk about it with someone. And yeah, it is a very unique series in a lot of ways. There are definitely a lot of problematic elements and also things that are challenging or triggering. So I'm going to do my best to summarize the triggers here to keep in mind both for our conversation as well as to keep in mind if you decide to watch the series. So I believe that if you watch the first episode, you can figure out if the show is right for you or not. But just so you know, even in the first episode, basically in most episodes, there is a lot of violence and death, a bit of gore. So there's a lot of, you know, psychological damage as well being done throughout the series. In later episodes, you will also see very mm, hard to watch scenes of torture, mm, not necessarily always realistic torture. There's also dismemberment. There isn't deliberate sexual violence, but there are implications of sexual violence, especially military rape. So please keep that in mind. In general, with the military torture, some of it, it does feel like it is an attempt to be realistic. I don't know because I am not a member of the military. I cannot speak to the accuracy of that, though I can say that this series does have a military advisor. But a lot of the scenes, especially in terms of torture and so on, are definitely taking a magical approach. So that is something to keep in mind. There's also a lot of gaslighting in the series and things like that. So, you know, it's a very dubious series in a lot of ways. But I do think that overall, it is a very interesting discussion and a very interesting series to check out if you can stomach those things. Well, we talk about it within the actual discussion. But to keep in mind, in the final episode, there is a sex scene that doesn't show anything between two female characters who are dubious in their power dynamics as well as their age, but I believe it is two minors. So, yeah. <laughs> also, the characters in general are minors, and they are unfortunately sexualized, which is quite common in these types of series with an older audience. We have talked about it um, in past episodes as well. Thank goodness. <laughs> it is very awkward to list all these things out because it is so much, 
but I promise that this conversation is interesting and Victoria was a delight to talk to. And I hope that despite all of this, you will enjoy this episode about Spec Ops Asuka. Today, we are here to talk about Magical Girl Spec Ops Asuka or uh, Maho Shoujo Tokushusen Asuka. And I'm very excited for our guest today. Can you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Victoria L. Johnson, and I am host of the Sailor Moon Fan Club podcast, podcast where I interview Sailor Moon fans. Obviously, I love other Magical Girls as well, and also a pop culture journalist and sometimes panel moderator. Awesome. Yeah. So this is a very interesting series that you've brought to me because I have been looking for a guest to talk about this show with. So I was really excited when you brought it up because I finally had a reason to watch it. But before we get into that, what is your history with magical girls as a genre? So my history is Sailor Moon. Uh, So when I was younger, my brother put on Toonami for me when I was about six or so. And he was like, there's a show coming on, you might like it. And it was Sailor Moon. Of course, I loved it. And that was really my introduction to the magical girl genre. And then it wasn't until much later that I kind of started to realize that it was a genre. And that's where I kind of started digging into more shows. And I, I want to say like, probably in like my early 20s, maybe my late teens, where I kind of realized like, oh, this is a thing. And it wasn't until like my 20s that I watched like Princess Tutsu or Madoka Magica or um, Asuka as well. Hmm. Great. Very interesting. Can you tell me about how you got into Asuka? Yeah. So I think around the time, it must have been around the time I watched Madoka, it's my guess. I just became really interested in like these different subgenres or dark magical girl or um, just like these ways they were like deconstructing or, you know, approaching the genre in different ways and so I was looking for different shows um that fell into that and this was one of them and I saw it and I was like this is interesting like I don't know something about it where I was like oh it's like this military aspect just caught my attention and I started reading the manga around I want to say 2018 maybe 2017 and read a good portion of it and I'll tell you where I stopped um as we start to talk about it but I enjoyed it despite it's some parts that are kind of weird but <laughs> I just thought it was interesting and I, it's a series that I bring up a few times just to share how like different the genre can be yeah yeah even among the darker magical girls of the 2010s this one does have a lot of unique aspects I mean the first one being that it is a military magical girl series and they went so far as to get a military advisor mm-hmm. Naoya Tamura on this series and he He's written a few books on the military. He's apparently a military expert from the looks of it. I don't know him very well, but he is a military advisor on other projects as well. But yeah, so like having that very direct tie to it does give a really interesting sense of realism to how dark a magical girl world could be if we were to really truly be in a war with a magical realm. Yeah, it, it's a very, very fascinating series. And then you yeah, have the animation that we're going to talk about today came out in 2019. But do you remember how far you got in the comic itself? 
Yes. The last scene I remember is uh, Kurami in the torture scene, the first torture scene. Oh, okay. That's as far as I remember. I might have read a little bit past that, but that was the scene I was kind of looking for because I was like, that's not um, looking forward to, but just looking forward to it. I was like, okay, <laughs> no, that's the marker. Um, and I just remember that just being very, like, it just made my skin crawl. Mm. But I just thought it was a powerful scene because, you know, she's kind of shown as like this sort of meek character. Mm-hmm. in a way and for her to switch and be like I'm going to do this because I don't want my friends to do this I thought was a really interesting approach to torture torturing somebody yeah Kurumi is a very interesting character with a lot of depth mm-hmm. for sure but yeah right. I can imagine like even if you had read further along that scene would be very striking Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get a little bit more into that in a in a minute. But just to summarize the series quickly for anyone who has not watched it yet, we're talking about primarily the animated series from 2019, which is 12 episodes. It is a kind of parallel version of our modern world. And Asuka is a high school student who is dealing with a lot of trauma because three years before when she was still in junior high school, she signed up to be a magical girl. And didn't quite understand what that meant for her, like the sacrifice that that would actually entail. And um, there were treaties made between between Earth and the fairy realm, I would say. I watched it in Japanese, so I'm not sure how they translated some of the, the specific terms, but... They did say fairy world, so it's, it's about the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or spirit world. Oh, uh, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have this kind of uh, treaty going on. But meanwhile, there's a third world that's more hellish, I guess, especially near the beginning, like the main villains that we see that were very traumatizing from the first war are these like very cute, plushy looking things that are actually very dark. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. What's the word? It reminds me of a happy tree friends. (laughs) Yeah, it's scary. Mm -hmm. Even right away in the first episode, it it just kind of goes right in for the dark aspect there are terrorists some of which use magic some of which don't there are a lot of a lot of different scenes of torture so this is definitely a series that is uh, mm, you need a strong stomach to watch this show for sure yeah, <laughs> uh, to get through definitely. it yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean sometimes it's a little over the top but like i guess intentionally so but yeah so there is you know, a lot of intrigue and so on. And we see that in that first war, three years before, there were, I believe it's 11 magical girls that went onto the battlefield, but only five of them survived. And they are referred to as the Magical Five mm-hmm. after that. They are like these legendary magical girls that helped to save the world. Three years later, everyone's in high school and there's still more stuff going on. So it's unfortunately time for Asuka to get back to being a magical girl and fighting, even though she really doesn't want to. Yeah, I mean, she has PTSD, and I feel like it's it's so warranted. And I, I feel like it's always cool when the shows kind of show that, because I, I think with shows like Sailor Moon, like, you do see that she has some PTSD as well, but it's kind of hidden behind, like, all the glitter and, like, happiness and colorfulness, and, like, it's still sad, mm-hmm. but it kind of, it's not as overt all the time. And so it's really cool to see shows like this where it's like, yeah, this actually would be very distressing and very like traumatic mm-hmm. because you're like fighting monsters, you're seeing your friends die, like you're at war, literally, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So 
really understandable for Asuka. <laughs> I feel her pain. And it's not just for Asuka. Like, so, you know, at the beginning of the series, she is entering a new high school. She's kind of trying to start over her life and kind of try to mm-hmm. live life as a regular girl um, as best as she can. Of course, there are a lot of things, you know, because of the war that cannot change uh, regardless. Like, she lives alone because the monsters killed her family. Mm-hmm. Like, that is another thing, like, in the first episode that shows, like, oh, yeah, we are not messing around here. Right. And then the way they do it, too, where it's, like, we'll send them back to you piece by piece and then, like, give her, like, what, like, an arm or something of one of her parents? Yeah, yeah. It's, like, in mm-hmm. it's a small little box, and inside she opens it, and she finds a hand. And it's, like, oh, right. yeah, that is, yeah, like you said, piece mm-hmm. by piece. It's, like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah terrifying yeah again she is in junior high school at this point so like barely a teenager so it's like it's just very intense yeah and then like the first uh first episode we also get one of our terrorist characters that we see a little bit for a few episodes kim Kantu, i believe is supposed to be korean based on his name he's uh not illustrated well we'll get to that in a minute but he like is released from uh, imprisonment by like I don't know like people in his uh, group I guess and you know they shoot up a bunch of people and one of Asuka's new school friends witnesses everything before getting saved by who she doesn't know is Asuka but yeah like it's very traumatic for her and we see her going through that and actually she does go through a lot of uh, healing and like strengthening herself up uh, even as a non-magical girl throughout the series which is very interesting but um yeah so let's go into our magical five so we generally mostly are seeing our main character asuka asuka otori who becomes uh, rapture asuka when she transforms uh, of course she's the main character and she you know she's very all around very tough i mean i would say that you know maybe one of the reasons why she is the main character is because she is still trying to be like a regular girl but we do see that you know when she was a child she loved magical girls and would watch you know she would like watch her favorite show and that's why she agreed to become mm-hmm. a magical girl you know something that we often see a lot not just in these types of shows but like in more recent magical girl series i feel like that's a common thing and um she has mm-hmm. uh i wouldn't say her best friend but kudumi mugen is another character that joined the magical girl group because of asuka they are very close in that way they went to school together and asuka helped kudumi a lot because she used to be very heavily bullied when she was younger so she very much became a magical girl for asuka but never stopped being a magical girl unlike asuka who kind of quit for a little bit and she is war nurse kudumi so she has a lot of healing magic but also mm-hmm. does a lot of stuff with uh, syringes and basically like magic potions but in a very specific way yeah right, like it's more like medicinal yeah yeah her character's really interesting but <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and then we have mia cyrus or just cause mia so she's an american mm-hmm. magical girl she like works in the within the U.S. usually, but she does uh, come to Japan to help uh, fight at the end. All their outfits are generally kind of military, but like hers is very U.S. military slash cheerleader, <laughs> which 
which yeah. is yeah interesting mm. yeah <laughs> and then we have tamara volkova who is phoenix tamara she's like mostly a firefighter that's why her name is phoenix <laughs> uh, mm. and she's a very cold in a little bit of a way a kind of stereotype but there are a lot of stereotypes in this series. <laughs> yeah. um, I actually did like when they kind of showed later, like her liking like cute things. And I was like, that's kind of cool. At least they like didn't make her completely mm-hmm. like the stone hard, cold Russian, even though they did. And they yeah. totally like went into that stereotype. But I was just like, okay, that's a little, little, little nice detail. Uh, yeah, I definitely read that mm-hmm. as like she puts on a front, but like she also seems to have a huge crush on Asuka, which is interesting. Yeah, it seems everyone does. Yeah, at least a little bit. <laughs> Asuka yeah. has quite the quite the reputation. And yeah, Asuka is mm-hmm. the uh, de facto leader of the Magical Five because the previous leader mm-hmm. died during the last war. Yeah, and then the last character that is a member of the Magical Five, like we really don't see for most of the series, is uh, Lao mm-hmm. Peipei, who is a Chinese magical girl. She is now in Thailand and apparently got plastic surgery because she now has a lot darker skin and blonde hair, which the blonde hair is not relevant to plastic surgery, but um, it is an interesting choice. But she now is like a a mercenary and I don't know, she like barely appears in the series, but she is there. That was throwing me off too because I was like, wait, who is she? Because I knew she was like one of them, but I I couldn't tell because every time they do the flashbacks, Mm -hmm. sometimes they show six Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's five. Um, like the picture they take mm-hmm. when they're at the uh, restaurant. Yeah. So I was like, wait, which one is she? Because I'm like, she looks so different and I'm not sure if it's... So she's the one who originally has black hair. Yes. And now she's blonde. Okay, because there was a blonde and there was the one with black hair. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not sure. Yeah. Neither of you look like who, <laughs> <laughs> who this girl is. Yeah, yeah. The blonde yeah. is um, someone who died during the war, uh, Chevalier Francine, who mm-hmm. I believe is supposed to be French. I'm not entirely sure. Oh, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> she is the one who officially like passed on the leadership duty to Oscar right. before dying. That's what I thought. Yeah. Um, but then I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> who is it? Yeah, yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pepe looks so different. You know, that's a part of the thing mm-hmm. is like she looks completely different. She's like clearly not interested in actually joining them, but also feels bad. But like it's a weird choice. But yeah, mm-hmm. all of these girls are, you know, interesting characters in general. Definitely all the non-Japanese ones uh, in general, all the non-Japanese characters do play into stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we have the Babel Brigade. They're mostly made up of humans, but they are uh, working alongside the the evil groups to fight against humanity for one reason or another. <laughs> mm-hmm. We know that the the queen, so called queen or brigadier of this group, is also a magical girl. That we don't know who she is because she wears a mask. But then we also have Abigail, who is a terrorist magical girl, which is such an interesting phrase, (laughs) who causes a lot of trouble near the beginning of the series. How should we go along talking about this? Because we have a lot to talk about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We didn't even talk about all the characters. There's so many. (laughs) There are a lot of other characters, but just thinking in terms of like the first six episodes. Mm -hmm. So right away we see... Like I mentioned in the first episode, 
Asuka makes two friends at her new school, Nozomi Makino and Saeko Hata. And Saeko is the one who gets accidentally involved. Involved is not the right word. She happens to be there when the terrorist stuff goes down in the first episode. And so she is dealing with a lot of trauma from Mm -hmm. this whole thing. Because, of course, she watched a lot of people die (laughs) right before her eyes. And felt helpless that she couldn't do anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did get saved by Asuka uh, well she didn't know she was saved by Asuka but she was saved by a magical girl and that inspires her like she wants to become stronger and and all of that and you know she is like very slowly dealing with first the just the very basic PTSD of like dissociating during random times early on and all of that but you know over time she's able to uh, become a stronger character and like try to do what she can you know psycho and nozomi are definitely like best friends nozomi flirts a lot with all the girls <laughs> like generally there's a lot of i don't know if even subtext is the right word there's like a lot of flirting and stuff between all the girls it's it's like a very gay show which is fun yeah <laughs> yeah that's a very common thing i think with uh this particular target audience i'm not sure why but sure mm-hmm uh, Nozomi's father works for the police. He's a police officer. He works for public safety or whatever. And uh, Nozomi gets kidnapped because of that. And she goes through a lot of torture. More than one should probably be able to survive. But luckily, we have a healing magical girl who was able to patch her up. But, like, literally gets, like, burnt by magic. They cut off her arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they like drown her with a water spirit it's oh, yeah that was very hard oh to watch gosh. yeah so like she goes yeah. through so much trauma that they actually wipe her memory because it's just too much i thought it was wild too that even seeing another magical girl because there's a magical girl who's part of her torture yeah now any magical girl she saw she was having a, a breakdown yeah at first, I didn't think they were going to wipe her memory, or I didn't know they could. And then I was like, I don't know if they were actually going to do it. Mm-hmm. I think it was the right decision because it seemed like, you know, she wasn't going to be able to function. Yeah. At least for a while. Exactly. But man, I was... <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> and I thought her and Asuka weren't going to be friends anymore because, like, Asuka kind of realized, like, they had to wipe her memory of the past week, and that's kind of when they became friends. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was going to make her kind of not lonely again because she'll still have Kurami mm-hmm. but kind of like lose that friendship that she just built that kind of right. brought her back like more into the normal world so I was kind of surprised that they were all still friends but it made sense because um forgetting her name but the other girl will remember her mm-hmm. um, Sayako I think yeah and so I was like oh that makes sense but I wish they would have like explained that a little bit or I guess it didn't really need explanation or like I don't know because I, I would like if you're a psycho, you'd be like, "What do you mean you don't remember? We've been hanging out all week." Like, what? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's like I think the thing is like it's the passage of time. We don't know how much time had really passed between that, but like that same sure. episode, there was a whole thing where they all went to the pool for the first time, and it was very exciting mm-hmm. for Nozomi because she really wanted to see everyone in their bathing suits. <laughs> right. But um, always it was a very interesting whole situation but yeah just very very intense she went through so much that like even though she was physically healed like she had a memory of having her arm cut off like that was just too much so Mm -hmm. right yeah so i think it was 
probably for the best. And yeah, it was Kurumi's own healing magic that like she had to use very carefully to remove those memories. And, you know, it just mm-hmm. like they said, you know, she wouldn't remember the past week. And of course that does suck for everyone else, but they all understood that it was for her mm-hmm. overall safety, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's all very interesting. There's like so much that goes on in terms of like, you know, how characters die and, you know, over time, we also get flashbacks showing, you know, the deaths of all the other magical girls in the first war. If you look up the series, you'll be able to see anyway. But when you look at the full group of magical girls, there is, I guess, technically more diversity. But the one brown magical girl is like this. Oh, my m- gosh. Yeah, it's um, it's so bad. Yeah, I don't even know where she's supposed to be from exactly because it's like such a yeah. combination of so many different tribal stereotypes. But it was like, really? <laughs> yeah, I looked it up and I was just like, oh God, why? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is she Native American? But it's just like, like you said, just very, there's a bunch of tribal stereotypes thrown into one character. Yeah. And it, she stands out so much because. I mean, well, everyone else is kind of like stereotypical in some ways, but mm-hmm. they all kind of have like some kind of like made outfit to a degree, except for Tamara. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was just like, why does she have this headdress on? Like, this is just bad. This yeah. is bad. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And we haven't mentioned it yet, but also important to note with the art style of this particular series the girls are all very sexy they have mm-hmm. they all have extremely large breasts yep. um, that they cannot keep covered for some reason it's one of those things that's like well i guess it's part of this particular style. subset of magical girls it's a it's a style but it's mm-hmm. also just uncomfortable you know so like it's very unfortunate like it's only one and she dies so it's like what was the purpose yeah yep even her skirt is like kind of reminiscent of like a loincloth instead of like being an actual skirt. It's just a mess. It's, it's yeah. a mess in every possible way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just like, we, we had one brown character, one brown magical girl. And I'm like, this is what happens. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, well, this is why we have to like trust other people to make magical girls yeah. and, and all that. But. Yeah, so that part's very unfortunate, but Mm -hmm. in general, you know, we do see, like, a lot of death, a lot of torture. Um, Later on, the torture is more from Kurumi than anyone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just, like, in general, before we start getting into the second half of this series, I wanted to just mention that, like, if you're going to check out this show, it's going to get heavy really quick. I think that generally, if you watch the first episode just that alone you should be able to figure out whether or not you're going to enjoy the series because it is very intense (laughs) yeah yeah completely agree yeah so let's go on uh we're just gonna just as like a little spoiler warning here we want to talk more about the rest of the show the second half of it so you know have a few more characters a few more problematic elements (laughs) at least and you know just a lot else to talk about again you know like despite its problematic elements i still found the show very compelling as a case study i guess in like a different view of magical girls so as we continue on there are a lot of like one-off characters like terrorist type characters and so on that we see throughout the series but you know we get to look more at the Babel brigade in the second half of the show and we get like 
a kind of more of a look at like newer magical girls, like how what it takes to make a new magical girl. Mm-hmm. That's when in episode seven we get the introduction of Geese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then later Chisato. So gosh. Okay, so Geese looks at first glance just like a kind of giant robot guy. Like Right. His face, like the way that well not his actual face, but his face looks to me it reminds me a lot of um Full Metal Alchemist, uh the character Alphonse. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, like he's like this just giant hulking guy. He spends most of his time wearing like a hoodie to kind of hide that he's like a giant kind of robotic type of guy. It's really hard to say like he's just like wearing a whole bunch of armor and that's like mm-hmm. like magically put together or whatever. But he even when he's like wearing a hoodie, like it's just like he's just a big hulking dude. So, you know, he's always going to look a little threatening. Yeah, he goes to find this girl, Chisato. And yeah, episode eight is a very intense episode because we see that Chisato is this girl who had been in a car accident and lost half of her leg. Mm-hmm. And, and her mom. <laughs> and her mom, yes. Yeah. So she dies and she mm-hmm. is left with just her father. And her father is uh, not taking it well. <laughs> That's one way to put it. <laughs> yeah. That is the worst. He is abusive and yeah, you'll you'll get it. Horrible human being. Yeah, yeah. So like his solution to their problem is to try to pimp her out, I guess. Mm -hmm. To some sort of sex work or hostess or something. It's not exactly clear, but the guy was like, dude, this is a child. No. I mean, (laughs) it was very clear in the English version. He was like, well, her mouth still works. So right, very, yeah. very clear. That's what he was trying to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just very intense because you're seeing this girl like still healing clearly, like her leg is still bandaged and mm-hmm. in a wheelchair, just dealing with this, like her father, like trying to like sell her out, you know, like this and it doesn't work and he takes it out on her. Like, why can't he get a job? I don't, I don't know. But um, he keeps drinking and drinking, like, so fast. And, it's, yeah, it's a very, very intense scene of watching him beat her mm-hmm. before Geese shows up to basically, I suppose, rescue her. But we'll get into that, too. Right. Yeah, it's very, again, very intense. And Geese shows up, immediately kills her father, and then is like, hey, come with me, and uh, offers to make her into a magical girl uh, and give her a prosthetic leg. This is also interesting because, like, there are a lot of amputees out there and different levels of being an amputee. You know, you can get by being an amputee and not using prosthetics. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it depends on the person. The few times that they kind of cover this these sorts of conditions, it's always kind of messy in magical mm-hmm. girls. Because <laughs> we were talking about magic and so on. Like, I guess it's okay... In that they didn't, like, magically bring her leg back or something like that. You yeah, know? I thought that's where they were heading with it. It's like, oh, you can walk now. And I'm like, oh, let's not do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they do, it is a prosthetic leg. So, like, mm-hmm. even when she is not transformed, she still very clearly has a prosthetic leg. Geese explains that he was a Somali child soldier who was forced to mm-hmm. murder yeah. his whole family. It's, like, very intense, um, again, and also just, like, like, again, with the stereotypes, like, this is all you could get from an African story. It's, like, 
I mean, I know it's a military series, and I know that mm-hmm. child soldiers exist, but it just, it, again, it's like the lack of representation. If you're going to try to do this stuff, you got to do put in a little bit more work. Yeah, I think. it was another instance for me. I was like, oh, a black character, but this, okay, this is where we're going. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's really sad. I did like how they drew the characters, though. I was happily surprised at how they drew the Somalians, even though it was, like, really... Uh, <laughs> tragic scene and like horrifying what do you mean by that sorry sometimes in like japanese animation black people can be drawn just like with very exaggerated features or stereotypes and i feel Mm, like in this case that wasn't the case like they just you know looked like Mm -hmm. regular black people (laughs) which is like a low bar (laughs) but yeah you know yeah yeah i'm always just like happily surprised when i see it it's like oh cool like y'all actually sure sure black people when he drew this cool (laughs) (laughs) yes it's very curious you know this is a particular topic that you know because we're especially talking primarily about japanese animation on the show Mm -hmm. we do talk about it quite a few times when animators want to animate black people, they can do it without stereotyping. And mm-hmm. it has happened even in early shows because um, until I finished watching Sally and Akko, I can say for sure the earliest mm-hmm. time that we see a non-stereotyped black character in a Japanese magical girl series is um, Mahona Makochan in 1970s. So like, it's possible, you know. Yeah, I gotta look that up. <laughs> oh yeah, this black guy does look good, yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. the only time, the first time I've seen a black character drawn well was um, Canary and Hunter Hunter. Mm, and so yeah. that was just like, oh, man. But yeah, this character looks great. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So once again, like we've known about black people forever. So like anyone who is not illustrating them correctly is just lazy. Yep. <laughs> I agree. Getting back to uh, Geese. So, yes, mm-hmm. we do see, like, his backstory. He goes through a lot of hardship. It, he's an interesting character for that reason because he is approached by the Babel Brigade and given this kind of new body because he was, like, not quite killed, but he was on the brink of death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like starvation and all that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, he is basically given a new, a second chance at life. Right. Yeah. What he said was interesting where he was like, he saw the magical five defeat the evil people, whatever. And he's like, oh, they're going to come and save us next. And they never did. And that was really powerful to me too Mm. with him. And like, you know, then later becoming a child soldier. I did think his story was interesting. I did. It was very stereotypical. Yeah. But it was interesting. And I could see that like people feeling that way too, where even if we know what like superheroes like an American TV shows you know it's like you see a superhero like saving us from like aliens or whatever and then it's like oh but like I'm still dealing with these things in like my neighborhood or my country or I'm still dealing with like racism and it's like yeah what are you gonna do about that can you help me here you know but mm. I get it yeah definitely mm-hmm. he was an interesting character for sure yeah, like you said, very common for, you know, superhero stories and so on to be like, hey, what about us? Like, people with superpowers can do more than just beating up the bad guy, you know. But, um, yeah, so I think it makes a lot of sense that, you know, these characters that are on the side of supposed bad, their stories make sense, like how they got to where they are. Definitely. And then, you know, he brings on a magical girl himself. 
Mm-hmm. It was interesting. Like you said, he goes in to save Chisato. And it was very satisfying seeing him kill the dad after he like abused her. Right. And like clearly she showed that he was a horrible human being. But um, yeah, it was weird. At first I thought weird. it was a flashback. Mm-hmm. And we were like seeing like the origin or something. Because I was like at this point, like these are new characters. And like we hadn't really seen who the Babel Brigade leader mm-hmm. is. So I'm just like, is this related to that? Like, are we seeing her origin? Like what's going on? You know? Mm-hmm. But it was interesting to kind of follow their storyline and and her to see kind of her get empowered, I guess, at least to go from being someone who is abused to someone who kind of like, I guess, got magical powers and now can like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. But it's so traumatic. Oh, not traumatic, but it's so like toxic. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Because like, yeah. I mean, part of it is, like, even before she actually can mm-hmm. transform, he mm-hmm. makes her kill the people who were involved in the car accident that killed her mother. Right. Yeah, and, like, with just a knife, like, it's so, it's such an intimate way to kill someone, too. So it's, like, yeah, it was very intense to watch that and see all of yeah, that happen. And, and he knew that, like, she wanted revenge on them Mm -hmm. but then he was like oh make sure you take 10 minutes killing each of them it was a lot yes it's like all about like you know the the intensity of like killing someone for the first time and like what that does to you and stuff and like she is clearly like completely changed by then and they have this very weird like toxic relationship where like she feels very indebted to him as well Mm -hmm. yeah right yeah that's what i was kind of hinting at like yeah she feels indebted to him like there's like the savior complex to it Mm-hmm. And, and well I guess we'll get to it later but yeah and just like the manipulation I think is just so strong mm-hmm. and so so bad yeah too. it's just very like sad but it's also like part of the the whole show like Asuka always has a very strong sense of like justice even in the face of like all the terrible things going on her sense of wrong and right doesn't really falter but I would say, like, all the other characters are a little bit more ambiguous. Right. Especially Kurumi, because yeah. we see by this point that one of the things that Kurumi does in her magical girl duties that she doesn't talk to Asuka about is uh, using her skills to very, like, intensely torture prisoners of war. Mm-hmm. We see two different scenes. So, like, the first time, like you mentioned, when you were reading the comic that it happened, it was, um, right. it was almost like a baby magical girl. Like, she, you know, had powers and she was clearly using them on the wrong side of things. But she also seemed extremely, like, innocent's not quite the right word, but, like, not really aware of what she's doing. Like, too immature, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cause she, I would guess she's probably maybe, like, 12. In comparison right. to, like, Asuka, who's maybe, like, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we do see that she does wear a bra, so, you know, like, oh, wow. hitting puberty, but, yeah, like, mm-hmm. and again, this is where it's, like, really intense, like, not sure, to the degree of what they're showing things, I'm, I'm not sure how much we need to see of it, but, mm-hmm. like, she, you know, gives her this uh, serum that she makes her extra sensitive to pain, and then, like, proceeds to put her in all, the, all these, like, torturous things, and it seems unnecessary what she's doing, but she feels like it is necessary, and she also feels like she has to do it so that others don't have to do it. 
I may be remembering this wrong because I was kind of like squirming in my seat as I was watching the anime. Sure. In the comic, I think she like puts the injection in her eye instead of her brain. But I might be remembering wrong. But I just remember something happening with her eyes and just being like, this is making my skin crawl. Hmm. But yeah, so I think it might have been even more gruesome if, you know, Mm -hmm. if possible (laughs) in the comic, but I may be remembering wrong. Yeah, no, I do Mm -hmm. think you're probably right. Like, it's probably even more intense because there are always going to be some limitations, you know. There's definitely generally going to be more freedom in a lot of different ways when making the comic in the first place. But yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, even if they did like change things up it's still very intense and again very uncomfortable to watch these scenes because the other time that she does it, it's near the end it is chisato that she tortures but right. we'll get to that i mean that's like mm-hmm. very fair at the end so uh before that we do have like a big final battle and this also involves like the magical shogun coming from the fairy realm mm-hmm. tabira who I'm not sure if it's intentional, but her name sounds very close to Tabitha for me, like, especially the way... I felt that way, too, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was thinking, like, is this, like, a really deep cut reference? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like, you know, it's, like, Bewitched and and her cousin or whatever, but, like, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. She's a very peculiar character also, because, like... She seems to be the reason why the magical girls look the way they do, like in terms of their outfits. And she like offers new outfits that are basically almost nothing. And while the girls refuse to wear it, like we still see her imagination of like how they would look in them. It's like, these are underage characters, but okay, guys. (laughs) Yeah, that was really weird. But I did like that they at least shared an explanation for why their clothes are so revealing. Yeah. Because it's not something you always get. But yeah, it was like, this is super uncomfortable. These are underage girls. What are we doing? (laughs) I mean, they do give an explanation. But the thing is, my feeling personally, at least with this kind of thing is this happens a lot where like there is a reason for the girls having to look this way. But that's in the world of fantasy. In Mm -hmm. reality, there are human people making this decision. And true. There's no, like, reason that can justify, like, it reminds me, I mean, obviously, like, it's not as bad in this show. I mean, you're about Kill a Kill? Kill a Kill, yes. But no, I was actually thinking about uh, Metal Gear. (laughs) (laughs) The character Quiet, who is like, Mm -hmm. oh, she breathes through her skin, so she can't wear much clothing. And it's like, are you guys serious? Right. Like, you couldn't think past that. Yeah, so, like, obviously that's, like, the extreme version of this Mm -hmm. situation, but it is okay to have, like, an in-world reason why the girls are dressed the way they are, but, like, Mm -hmm. you don't need to have that reason because you don't need to have them dressed that way, you know? Very true. Yeah. Especially for, like, a military show, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but anyway. Exactly, like, Phoenix Tamara is definitely the best dressed of the girls because Mm -hmm. her chest isn't exposed. (laughs) Right. And, like, yeah. She's a jacket. Yeah, I feel like that that always gets me to, I mean, that's, like, an issue with, like, women and girls from, like, in all shows ever, probably. But (laughs) how are you protecting yourself? And obviously this is magic, but this isn't reasonable armor. 
but exactly of course the creators aren't thinking that they're like we want to dress them in revealing clothing exactly yeah (laughs) yeah It's a fascinating problem with mm-hmm. basically most things like this that are supposed to be appealing to uh, young men. <laughs> and like, yeah, again, like Whiplash Chisato is the most revealing of the costumes. Just like, oh, okay. Like she doesn't even get a skirt. Mm-hmm. It's very frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's, yeah, it's very much like a BDSM-esque mm-hmm. outfit. And like she yeah. even has like a quote unquote, like a whip, which is actually like a I think she says it's a band-aid. She like wraps it around her hand at some point. But she mm-hmm. also uses it as a whip. But she's like trained in karate, so she also uses it as like a hand wrap. But I was mm-hmm. also like, this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff like that, unfortunately, especially mm-hmm. out of Japan. So you just gotta yep. accept that it is there and just keep going. Yep. <laughs> Uh, now, I found the final battle to be really fascinating for a lot of reasons, especially thinking about it from a military perspective. So, of course, we have our magical girls who are all involved in the fight. They get the best tech they can, and there are also a whole bunch of other soldiers who are involved in the battle. And all these monsters are coming forward, and um, we don't see anything. It's not, like, really intense. You don't hear anything either, exactly, but, like, it's very heavily implied that there's a lot of military rape going on by this point as they're attacking civilians. And that part is also intense. So it's like, they don't show anything. Sometimes there's like ripping off of shirts, I guess. But like, it's very clear what they're implying, if that makes sense. And maybe I wasn't looking at the screen, but I kind of missed that. <laughs> I don't know. What... Okay. Yeah. So, you know, the, the final battle is in Okinawa, which, right. again, is an interesting choice for military reasons. Right. Yeah. And uh, we see, like, there's, like, this one, you know, like, an everyday kind of town. I don't know what city it's supposed to be specifically. We also know that uh, Nozomi and Saiko are both there uh, on vacation. And, yeah, they get, like, all attacked by these monsters. And they're also, like, right. these kind of more goblin-type mo- smaller monsters that are there. Yeah, I did see them. Yeah, so a lot of them are, like, attacking girls, and they're attacking them, like, from behind as if mounting them, but they're still dressed, yeah. I did notice that, and that, I was like, is that, like, was he about to rape her? That's what I remember thinking, but I was like, maybe Mm -hmm. it was just the angle, and I was, I I just, like, I was like, maybe not, maybe not. Mm. But yeah, I do remember that, you're right, with the little goblin creature, because, yeah... Huh. Yeah, so there's there's that they show that kind of scene twice, like in two different episodes. So uh, for me, it's I feel like it's very intentionally trying to hearken to that idea, which mm-hmm. is again why you know one of the things that they have to keep in mind, especially because it's a military series, is the deep, deep, terrible history of uh, the Japanese military, most famously during World War Two, but even like. Now, you know, and also one of the reasons why a show like this can be frustrating is like the casual disregard of sexual violence in Japan, but like the actual violence that was inflicted by Japanese soldiers uh, during World War II to both Japanese and non-Japanese women is like very uh, important to keep in mind as context for a show like this. Like, I don't know if that kind of scene would happen if this was a military show that was more like from I don't know like an American perspective if that makes sense mm, yeah 
Maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely supposed to seem like the enemy or the other, like they're doing this, not us. Right. And I can definitely see that in Amer- in an American show where it's like, mm-hmm. see how horrible they are. See what they do. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's like, I don't know. It just feels like the way that it was presented, it's just like as like a normal part of war. It feels like mm. a very, like a Japanese idea of things. And like, Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, if that makes sense. Like, this was made in 2019, so this was still when um, Shinzo Abe was prime minister. Mm-hmm. And his grandfather uh, is, like, one of the worst people when it came to, like, being just an overall disgusting human being during World War II. But he was mm-hmm. also a prime minister for a time. And uh, actually, I think, I'm trying to remember, I guess it was last month that Behind the Bastards did a whole week of episodes about all the terrible things that he was involved in during World War II. But just like generally a disgusting human. He loves his grandfather. He was the prime minister at the time of this show airing. And it's like all this context that I can't help but think about, if that makes sense. You know? Yeah. No, it definitely does. I think I can see kind of what you're saying, because I think if it was done in an American show, it would be seen as something that's like horrible or like this is the worst like this is the show like how horrible they are but i think with this show it's kind of like almost matter of fact like oh of course they're mm-hmm. doing this like this is just the this is what war is right mm-hmm. yeah exactly so it's just um very intense and as part of the final battle geese and chisato go to fight the magical girls and attack the shogun tabira and Chisato and Kurumi end up fighting, and that was a very interesting battle in itself. And then Asuka fights Geese, and you know, when she kills Geese is when we finally see, like, we see what he looks like inside the suit mm-hmm. before he dies. Which yeah. is, like, barely there. It's, like, it's just a chest and a head. Yeah, or even not even the chest, but it's, like, his head and his, like, spinal cord. Yeah. It reminded me a, l- a little bit of, like, the Robocop reboot. <laughs> where like they take the time to like show what's left of that guy's body i haven't seen that but i believe you (laughs) yeah (laughs) actually not a bad not a bad movie but um Mm -hmm. yeah so like this is of course a very shocking thing but as this is happening as he's dying he tells chisato who has come there to defend him that like oh the babble brigade actually caused the car accident that killed her mother yeah That was intense. It was like they could sense she had like the potential for magic. So they wanted to give her so much stress that she would join them. It is like, what? I mean, it makes sense because they're evil. Right. Like, they just ask. (laughs) They could just ask. Yeah, that's also true. (laughs) But yeah, so like, that's the route that they take. And, you know, like it just, you know, it's very intense. And again, like this causes Chisato to have her own mental breakdown like she's like unable to keep going and she does later get tortured mm-hmm. by kurumi as well and we see that the, that result of like the first torture session is that like the other younger girl is like fully obedient now and it's just like this is not making anyone look good basically at the end of things yeah it made me really be like i don't know about you kurumi like i i kind of like you <laughs> but now i'm just like you are questionable but again i think that at least it shows an accurate ish depiction of military where it's like 
you're gonna have bad people on both sides or not even just bad people but it's like the perception of who who's really the terrorist you know Mm -hmm. i mean obviously there's only one group here that's like attacking and like you know causing disruption and like killing people like Mm -hmm. seemingly without any what's the word um incitement like yeah exactly yeah yeah (laughs) thank you (laughs) we stuck on that for a minute yeah that's okay yeah. yeah so i think that at least it's like oh like cure me at least it's like oh like it makes you wonder like okay well those tactics are kind of questionable too Mm -hmm. and that's kind of interesting to me yeah it's like she we see her as being generally good like we understand she she is very loyal to asuka because asuka kind of rescued her from bullies and the bullying that she experienced was definitely really intense Mm -hmm. when they were in middle school together and she became a magical girl with the promise that Asuka would always protect her because she felt she was very weak. So that part was all like really good. And mm-hmm. I liked the beginning of their like seeing their backstory and stuff. And I was really rooting for them because it's also very clear that like Kurumi is like in love with Asuka. Oh, Again, yeah. so is everyone. But um, right. <laughs> yeah, but especially um, like jealous even though mm-hmm. we know we didn't talk about this but when asuka's at the house with psycho she gets there mm-hmm. she's like ringing the doorbell she's like did anything happen oh, like <laughs> make sure like they didn't like i guess start a romance while she was gone or like not in the room <laughs> which is like calm down yeah it's, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah there's an interesting kind of thing going on with those four in particular because mm-hmm. it seems like you know at least psycho is really looking up to asuka in a lot of ways mm-hmm. she doesn't know that asuka's a magical girl right but like she still is looking up to her overall and there's some like possibility of feelings there so there's a lot of jealousy between everyone yeah mm-hmm. it's it's interesting yeah it's an interesting part of this target audience i guess Mm -hmm. if that makes sense like where there's a a lot of like queer subtext in these kinds of magical girls and even just in the genre the this target audience in general outside of the genre i'm not sure why but (laughs) i mean it's interesting and exciting to be like oh yeah this girl is definitely gay oh but i don't want to root for her either because she is torturing children yeah yeah that's just the things that Mm. animation makes you uh question sometimes (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah exactly it's just like "Mm, okay i guess Mm -hmm. i mean i do feel like that is part of the point of everything of like the kind of ambiguity of like good and bad and stuff right you know there's a point where like self-defense makes sense like why they're battling in the first place but the torture that those two characters go through because of Kudumi can't really be explained by self-defense, you know? So, yeah, it's an interesting kind of, like, line. And again, it's because, you know, she says she's doing it so that other characters don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that uh, reveal from Geese, I feel like it was, like, so left field, but it was like, man, like, kick her while she's down. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, he was like, you know, he wants her to be happy and like the fact that I guess he was kind of selling her not to continue with the brigade in a way was kind of like you're a magical girl now. Like you don't have to like mm-hmm. be a part of this anymore in a way. Um, mm-hmm. So their like story, even though it was really short, I did like feel for both of them in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really powerful, even though like 
it really threw me off because I was like, who are these characters? Like, what's going on? <laughs> Why are they the villains now? Like, what what happened to the the big boss? Because hmm. like the, that connection wasn't clear at first. Hmm. Yeah, they just introduce a lot of new things very quickly, and I was just like, what's going on? And then I also like as I was watching the show, I thought that they cover the entire series, the manga series, and so mm-hmm. I was just like, huh, this isn't wrapping up like I thought. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so. uh that was kind of throwing me off. I was like, are we not going to get the reveal of who this person is? And actually, you mm-hmm. didn't see who it is. <laughs> but yeah, I enjoyed it overall, I think. Hmm. It's interesting. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention the the first girl that is tortured. Her name is um, Nazini. Mm-hmm. And she is supposed to be Armenian specifically, which is so interesting yeah. to me. Yeah. She's explicitly like a witch rather than a magical girl, which is a little ah. interesting. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but like, you know, she and Jisato go under like this torture and end up joining the side of good afterwards. It's just like, I don't really like how this is happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Her and um Chisato, they both yeah. like join, I guess, the quote unquote good magical girl side. Mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, it's weird. And it feels like too soon. And I'm just like, I don't mm-hmm. know. And it was weird because even like Kirami, she gives her like this speech after torturing her that's like actually like a feel good speech. Like you should still find the will to live on. And it's like, you just tortured her. Like what? Yeah. And you're like holding another girl you tortured. But yeah, super weird. I would have liked it better if like maybe like they slowly, you know, without torture, like convince them or, you know, show mm-hmm. them that like, oh, you know, like this isn't what it's about or you know this is what we're trying to do or i don't know something other than torture (laughs) yeah i mean i think it's interesting because like if we take a lot of the the events of this series and apply it or like think about a magical girl series for kids this would never happen right like it's always about fighting hate with love and like having a villain become good is extremely common actually (laughs) you know in the magical girl series so but it's always happening like through hugs and love and like showing that like extending uh, passion and empathy and so on so like this is not that at all no this was like, yeah you are gonna defect to our side one way mm-hmm. or another or you die <laughs> right the ambiguity of that is very fascinating yeah and i didn't think kirami was gonna torture um chisato because i was like you don't really need to like she doesn't know anything and she even mm-hmm. says like I don't think you know anything and like she's already like feeling really horrible like she doesn't have anybody like she doesn't really have any mm-hmm. incentive to join the brigade because she doesn't know them you know her only connection mm-hmm. was geese so like I didn't see a point in torturing her right like the reason why they want to turn them good is because like you don't want to I guess waste a good magical girl in the mm. the eyes of the military in this scene because like they're aren't a lot of new magical girls considering that there were so many in the first war like yeah no i think at the end they say something like there's 25 magical girls but there's like 300 illegal magical girls or something like that or magical Mm -hmm. girls that were created illegally yeah so yeah i think i think so i know the 300 number is right i don't remember if the 25 is right but i know it's like a, a way smaller number Basically, you know, if someone becomes a magical girl illegally, they're not going to, like, 
kill them, they're going to want to, like, I guess, make them legal. I'm not sure what the process is there. <laughs> yeah. But that ending felt, like, so strange in that way. And, yeah, we don't find out the mystery of uh, like who Brigadier is. But we do see that she is in a sexual relationship with her magical girl, Pick Scissors Abby, who right. is very intense character in general. She's the one that tortured Nozomi. Mm-hmm. And uh, that relationship is very strange. And, you know, the reason why I wanted to figure out who Brigadia is is just because, like, I wanted to make sure that this sex scene wasn't really, really bad. Like, we don't see anything, but it's very clear that they're having sex in the last episode. And so, like, finding out who she was was very, like, important just to make sure that they're not an adult and child. Mm -hmm. And based on who it is, I'm believe that they are she's not an adult so but it is there like that that happens and it's like oh it's like even if they're both underage it's still like this is clearly a an imbalance of power so that's not good either and it just is not not good that that is the only actual ex i don't even want to use the word explicit but i guess um the like actual like text of this whole series Mm-hmm. because everything else is like implied like you can say yeah Kurumi pretty much has a crush on Asuka and so there's these other characters but no one like does anything about it there's no like romance or kissing or anything but there's this this sex scene and it's like okay guys why are we doing this right the only time we see yeah any- yeah I agree hmm it's not great. I actually think we ended up talking about all the different problematic aspects of the series yeah. along the way. But yeah, just to reiterate, a lot of stereotypes of uh, whether it is... Well, honestly, it's like basically anyone who is not Japanese is a stereotype mm-hmm. of some variety. In particular, with the main um, the main group of the original 11 magical girls that fought in the previous war. There is only one who is brown and she is the biggest stereotype. It is very weird. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, with Pei Pei, the one Chinese magical girl, mm-hmm. first of all, her name is, okay, her outfit's like, no, it's as sexy as the others, but it's like also very based in Chinese stereotypes. There's mm-hmm. a lot of that, honestly, in some magical girls i don't know it's just it's a weird problem and yeah just generally the characters most of the magical girls have very very sexy costumes and that includes the uh the evil ones i mean once you accept that that's something you're gonna see you just kind of keep going i guess um but you had told me you wanted to talk about the the dub because you watched it dubbed in english yeah no i just like some of the dialogue i thought was just very uh i guess also stereotypical or just like very basic mm-hmm. that makes sense and I, I just i was curious because i didn't watch the subbed and so i'm like i'm wondering if it was any different just like some of it was like i'm trying to think mia and uh oh man the russian magical girl they like will be like oh hey texas hey russia it's like oh did you go drink vodka <laughs> oh yeah that's in the, that's in the japanese yeah yeah and it was just like oh this is so like cringy and it just felt very like <laughs> There's no, yeah. I don't want to say floweriness to it, but just like, it's just very like straight to the point. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Something about mm-hmm. it felt very choppy. I mean, I think part of it is the fact that it's a, a 12 episode series. It's mm-hmm. going to be hard and like 
think you were telling me it covers about six volumes of the comic. So, like, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of comic to put into 12 episodes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sure if that's maybe the reason. Like, pacing can be difficult, and then you have Mm -hmm. all these characters that you have to get through and everything. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's just... It made me want to watch at least one episode um, subtitled for me mm-hmm. just to see like if the dialogue is a little better because I just remember watching it. It was just like, I don't know. I don't know. Something about it. I was just like, this is very juvenile. Yeah, it's again, the stereotypes are very strong. Mm-hmm. Even in Japanese, I feel like that there's there like, yeah, Mia and Tamara do call each other like Texas and Russia. Like it's like very mm-hmm. much like. Okay, guys, like this is all you could think of, sure. Yeah, like this is like the nineties high school like trauma or something. Yeah. Yeah, very much that. So it was um yes, yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Also like East Asian characters that are not Japanese mm-hmm. are often depicted in a different way. So that's not good either. You know, again with geese being the only character from any part of Africa and having this incredible like obviously again like these things do happen there are a lot of terrible things Mm -hmm. that have happened everywhere but it's just a weird thing for that to be like the only thing you know right yeah yeah and like the toxic bonds i think with a lot of the characters and Mm -hmm. yeah a lot of the revealing outfits of underage girls Yeah, again, that's a problem throughout uh, many Mm -hmm. of these shows, unfortunately. And um, yeah, and not just magical girl shows. Yeah. But yeah, definitely a problem. Uh, That's one of those things that like you kind of always know is probably going to be there. I think that's why people were so surprised by uh, Madoka not having that, Mm -hmm. which is like the bars on the floor, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then also, even then, like, as Madoka continued, it did get more sexual, especially with Magia record and stuff. So it's like, mm, not enjoying that. But mm. yeah, it's unfortunately not necessarily even something that people want from my experience. Like, even, like, guys, um, mm. I, I've definitely seen even, like, teenage boys look at a character and be like, why is she so sexy? So, uh, <laughs> Yeah. So it's like the, uh, I guess, corporate idea of what what they want, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. But yeah. Yeah. So, you know, those are the common problems. And again, this is a very intensely violent series. So um, not for the weak of hearts, not to say that you are a weak person if you don't want to watch this. I totally get it. It's definitely not for everyone, and that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was almost hard for me to watch many scenes, too. So, I mean, I, yeah, Mm -hmm. like I said, completely get it. And I think, yeah, definitely. If you don't like gore or Mm -hmm. anything like that, I think this series would be really hard to watch. Yeah, like, it's, like, more intense than, like, a Tarantino film, so, you know. Yeah, you know, I was actually looking, and the um, creator, he was inspired Mm -hmm. by, like, the Watchmen which makes sense because it does like kind of have that gratuitous aspect to it. Yeah, I know that the the higher level monsters are inspired by slasher movie monster yeah. characters. So, yeah, I use this app to track the episodes I watch for like every TV show, and mm-hmm. someone pointed that out. I didn't notice that because they were like Halloween and like Voorhees and yeah, I forgot what else. But yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Mm. But yeah, I was watching and something else. Oh, kick ass. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's another one 
that gets really intense and you're like, why does this happen? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of bad plot choices in that series yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. He provided the series compensation for the 2016 remake of Berserk, which also is in line with uh, <laughs> all Oh, interesting. This. Yeah. Okay. Also another show with some very toxic and questionable decisions. Hmm. Would you say that despite all of these problems that you still enjoyed aspects of this show? I think so, yeah. Despite <laughs> the many, many problems, I do think I, <laughs> I enjoyed it. It still made me want to, like, I plan to continue on with the manga because I want to know what happens. I did want to mm-hmm. know who the mysterious brigade leader was. I didn't accidentally did see it on the Wikipedia page. Yeah, they have it on the Wikipedia page. But it's who I thought it was. So I'm like, okay, at least it wasn't like, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been a complete surprise. It was just like a, mm-hmm. more of a confirmation. Right. But I do plan to continue reading it at some point or maybe this week. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I think like Asuka is a great character. I think overall it had some interesting like things to think about. And mm-hmm. the fight scenes actually were also really good too. We don't think we really talked yeah. about that. But the fight scenes were really um, engaging and, and fun to watch. Like mm-hmm. I just I like mm-hmm. seeing, you know, girls and women just fight and kick ass. So <laughs> Yeah. There's definitely a lot of that, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think overall it was really fascinating. It makes me want to see like more people take on this particular concept. It's very interesting because there are a lot of well, there's like the whole death game magical girl specifically, but like in general having darker magical girls is something that's more in print than anything else. Mm-hmm. So I would be interested to see more people take on this concept, I would say. Yeah. Completely agree. You know, I found it to be a fascinating kind of case study. Definitely worth talking about for sure. So yeah. well, I'm happy you're finally able to speak to someone about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think because of the nature of the show, understandably, like I know people who just outright hated the series and I'm like you know what I cannot blame you for it that makes perfect sense mm-hmm. I could completely understand checking this out and being like no way yep yeah the main thing is you know this is attempting to talk about people on a global scale and you know about this like I was talking to someone just actually yesterday about like for a story that would have to eventually be set kind of all over the world but like talking about like how can you responsibly handle that kind of process we kind of came to the conclusion like the best way is to try to collaborate with people from these places and stuff like that you know like if they had actually talked to people like to have it like one like somali child soldier like there are so many nations in africa uh and so many other different things they could talk about but they're at the same time it's a 12 episode series so like that's why I want to see, like, people from all over the world making stuff, you know? Yeah, I completely agree, yeah. yeah. It's all just very, uh, very exciting. Part of one of the reasons why I love talking to creators on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we have been chatting for quite a while about this show. So, mm-hmm. um, Victoria, thank you so much for talking to me about <laughs> Asuka. So we're at our final question, which is, do you have a magical persona of your own? Ooh. I mean, I use Sailor Victoria a lot, which I always think is fun because it's like Sailor V and like Sailor Venus, even though Sailor Moon's my favorite. But I think that's probably the closest, the only thing I can think of. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I always love seeing like any Sailor Moon type characters with purple hair because purple is my favorite color. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know what my powers would be, though. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it would be cool to fly or, like, teleportation. Mm Mm-hmm. I think maybe something musical-related would be kind of cool, too, because I love music. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Could be fun. Mm. Like, throwback to, like, the older, original Magical Girls. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds good. Mm. So, great. So, I guess that's uh, everything for today. So, uh, where can people find you and follow you online? Sure. So um, find me at Miss Old School. It's Old School with a K on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to follow the Sailor Moon Fan Club podcast, you can listen to that wherever you're listening to this podcast. And Magic Girl Girl I was on my podcast as well. So you might want to check out that episode if you like this podcast. And then you can also follow the podcast at Mooney's Club on Twitter and Mooney's underscore club on Instagram. I'm also at TikTok at Sailor Victoria. Or, you know, you can just check out everything we have going on at uh, SailorMoonFanClub.com. Awesome. Yeah. And it was it was really fun to come on to your podcast. So I'm really glad that you were able to come on to mine, too. Yeah. <laughs> Full circle. Yeah, exactly. So I hope you have a good rest of your day. You too. <laughs> for listening to this episode of Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you like it, and don't forget to tell your friends about the show if you think they'd be interested. If you use social media, don't forget to use the hashtag SparkleSideChats when talking about and sharing the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MagicalGirlAyu, spelled A-Y-U, and you can find me at Ayushinos. A-Y-U-S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S You can also email us at sparklesidechats at gmail.com. Let us know if there's a topic you want covered or a fan or creator you want to hear from by filling out the form in the show notes. Show notes can be found on your platform of choice or at anchor.fm slash sparkleside. You can also join the Discord for this podcast to talk about Magical Girls 24-7, often chatting directly with me and both previous and upcoming guests of the podcast. You can find a public link to the Discord after each episode is released, or if it's not working anymore, feel free to DM. If you can support the podcast financially, you can find me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash With Kofi membership, you can get bonus content, announcements about episode topics, and your name read aloud on the podcast. Another way to support us one time is by buying something off of the Amazon Japan wishlist. This helps with getting more access to Magical Girl content that we can discuss in future episodes. Feel free to purchase from the used section as we are not picky here. Original podcast music is by Hazel. You can find her on Twitter at A Few Bruises. Thanks again for listening, and remember, you are magical.